Chapter Thirty Two of The Imperialist by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. It was late afternoon when the train from the west deposited Hugh Findlay upon the Elgin platform, the close of one of those wide, wet, uncertain February days when the call of spring is on the wind, though spring is weeks away the lights of the town flashed and glimmered down the streets under the bare swaying maple branches the early evening was full of soft bluster the air was conscious with an appeal of nature vague yet poignant the young man caught at the strange sympathy that seemed to be abroad for his spirit he walked to his house courting it troubled by it they were expecting him that evening at dr drummond's and there it was his intention to go but on his way he would call for a moment to see edvina murchison he had something to tell her it would be news of interest at dr drummond's also but it was of no consequence within an hour or so when they should receive it there while it was of great consequence that edvina should hear it at the earliest opportunity and from him there is no weighing or analyzing the burden of such a necessity as this it simply is important it makes its own weight and those whom it concerns must put aside other matters until it has been accomplished he would tell her they would accept it for a moment together a moment during which he would also ascertain whether she was well and strong with a good chance of happiness god protect her in the future that he should not know then he would go on to dr drummond's the wind had risen when he went out again it blew a longer blast and the trees made a steady sonorous rhythm in it the sky was full of clouds that dashed upon the track of a failing moon there was portent everywhere and a hint of tumult at the end of the street no two ways led from finley's house to his first destination river street made an angle with that on which the murchisons lived half a mile to the corner and three-quarters the other way drops drove in his face as he strode along against the wind stilling his unquiet heart that leaped before him to that brief interview as he took the single turning he came into the full blast of the veering irresolute storm the street was solitary and full of the sound of the blown trees wild and uplifting far down the figure of a woman wavered before the wind across the zone of a blurred lamp-post she was coming toward him he bent his head and lowered his umbrella and lost sight of her as they approached she with the storm behind her driven with hardly more resistance than the last year's blackened leaves that blew with her he assailed by it and making the best way he could certainly the wind was taking her part and his when in another moment her skirt whipped against him and he saw her face glimmer out a mere wreck of lines and shadows it seemed in the livid light with suddenly perceiving eyes and lips that cried his name she had on a hat and a cloak but carried no umbrella and her hands were bare and wet 
pitifully the storm blew her into his arms a tossed and straying thing that could not speak for sobs pitifully and with a rough incoherent sound he gathered and held her in that refuge a rising fear and a great solicitude laid a finger upon his craving embrace of her he had a sense of something strangely different in her of the unknown irremediable yet she was there in his arms as she had never been before her plight but made her in a manner sweeter the storm that brought her barricaded them in the empty spaces of the street with a divinely entreating solitude he had been prepared to meet her in the lighted decorum of her father's house and he knew what he should say he was not prepared to take her out of the tempest helpless and weeping and lost for the harbour of his heart and nothing could he say he locked his lips against all that came murmuring to them but his arms tightened about her and he drew her into the shelter of a wall that jutted out in the irregular street and there they stood and clung together in a long close broken silence that covered the downfall of her spirit it was the moment of their great experience of one another never again in whatever crisis could either know so deep so wonderful a fathoming of the other soul once as it passed edwina put up her hand and touched his cheek there were tears on it and she trembled and wound her arm about his neck and held up her face to his no he muttered and crushed it against his breast there without complaint she let it lie she was all submission to him his blood leaped and his spirit groaned with the knowledge of it why did you come out why did you come dear he said at last i don't know there was such a wind i could not stay in the house she spoke timidly in a voice that should have been new to him but that it was above all her voice i was on my way to you i know i thought you might perhaps come if you had not i think i was on my way to you it seemed not unnatural did you find any message from me when you came she asked presently in a quieted almost a contented tone it shot the message before his eyes though he had seen it no message in the preoccupation of his arrival i found a rose on my dressing-table he told her and the rose stood for him in a wonder of tenderness looking back i smuggled it in she confessed i knew your old servant she used to be with us the others from dr drummond's have been there all day making it warm and comfortable for you i had no right to do anything like that but i had the right hadn't i to bring the rose i don't know he answered her hard-pressed how we are to bear this she shrank away from him a little as if at a glimpse of a surgeon's knife we are not to bear it she said eagerly the rose is to tell you that i didn't mean it when i left it to be anything more more than a rose but now i do i didn't even know when i came out to-night 
but now i do we aren't to bear it hugh i don't want it so now i can't can't have it so she came nearer to him again and caught with her two hands the lapels of his coat he closed his arm over them and looked down at her in that half detachment which still claimed and held her Advina, he whispered out of the sudden clamour in his mind she can't be she isn't nothing has happened to her she smiled faintly but her eyes were again full of fear at his implication of the only way oh no she said but you have been away and she has come i have seen her and oh she won't care hugh she won't care her asking straining face seemed to gather and reflect all the light there was in the shifting night about them the rain had stopped but the wind still hurtled past whirling the leaves from one darkness to another they were as isolated as outlawed there in the wild wet wind as they were in the confusion of their own souls we must care he said helplessly clinging to the sound and form of the words oh no she cried no no indeed i know now what is possible and what is not for an instant her eyes searched the rigid lines of his face in astonishment in their struggle to establish the impossible she had been so far ahead so greatly the more confident and daring had tempted him to such heights scorning every dizzy verge that now when she turned quite back from their adventure humbly confessing it too hard she could not understand how he should continue to set himself doggedly toward it perhaps too she trusted unconsciously in her prerogative he loved her and she him before she would not now she would before she had preferred an ideal to the desire of her heart now it lay about her her strenuous heart had pulled it down to foolish ruin and how should she lie abased with it and see him still erect and full of the deed they had to do come he said let me take you home dear and at that and some accent in it that struck again at hope she sank at his feet in a torrent of weeping clasping them and entreating him oh send her away send her away he lifted her and was obliged literally to support her her hat had fallen off he stroked her hair and murmured such comfort to her as we have for children in their extremity of which the burden is chiefly love and don't cry she grew gradually quieter drawing one knows not what restitution from the intrinsic in him but there was no pride in her and when she said let me go home now it was the broken word of hapless defeat they struggled together out into the boisterous street and once or twice she failed and had to stop and turn 
then she would cling to a wall or a tree putting his help aside with a gesture in which there was again some pitiful trace of renunciation they went almost without a word each treading upon the heart of the other toward the gulf that was to come they reached it at the murchison's gate and there they paused as briefly as possible since pause was torture and he told her what he could not tell her before i have accepted the charge of the whitewater mission station in alberta he said i too learned very soon after i left you what was possible and what was not i go as soon as things can be set in order here good-bye my dear love and may god help us both she looked at him with a pitiful effort at a steady lip i must try to believe it she said and afterward when it comes true for you remember this i was ashamed then he saw her pass into her father's house and he took the road to his duty and dr drummond's his extremity was very great through it lines came to him from the beautiful archaic inheritance of his church he strode along hearing them again and again in the dying storm so i do stretch my hands to thee my help alone thou only understands all my complaint and moan he listened to the prayer on the wind which seemed to offer it for him listened and was gravely touched but he himself was far from the throes of supplication he was looking for the forces of his soul and by the time he reached dr drummond's door we may suppose that he had found them sarah who let him in cried how wet you are mr finlay and took his overcoat to dry in the kitchen the scotch ladies she told him and mrs forsyth had gone out to tea but they would be back right away and meanwhile the doctor was expecting him in the study he knew the way finlay did know the way but as a matter of fact there had been time for him to forget it he had not crossed dr drummond's threshold since the night on which the doctor had done all as he would have said that was humanly possible to bring him finlay to reason upon the matter of his incredible entanglement in brass the door at the end of the passage was ajar however as if impatient and dr drummond himself standing in it heightened that appearance with his come you in finlay come you in the doctor looked at the young man in a manner even more acute more shrewd and more kindly than was his wont his eye searched finlay thoroughly and his smile seemed to broaden as his glance travelled man he said you're shivering and rolled him into an armchair near the fire the fellow came into the room he would say when he told the story afterward to the person most concerned as if he were going to the stake this is extraordinary weather we are having but i think the storm is passing over i hope said finlay that my aunt and miss cameron are well i understand they are out oh very well finally 
they're out at present and you'll see them by and by an excellent voyage over they had just the eight days but we'll be doing it in less than that when the new fast line is running to halifax but four days of actual ocean travelling they say now it will take four days from imperial shore to shore that should incorporate us that should bring them out and take us home the doctor had not taken a seat himself but was pacing the study his thumbs in his waistcoat pockets and a touch of embarrassment seemed added to the inveterate habit i hear the ladies had pleasant weather finlay remarked capital capital you won't smoke i know nothing about these cigars there's some grant left behind him a chimney that man grant well finlay he threw himself into the armchair on the other side of the hearth i don't know what to say to you surely said finlay restively it has all been said sir no it has not all been said dr drummond retorted no it has not there's more to be said and you must hear it finlay with such patience as you have but i speak the truth when i say that i don't know how to begin the young man gave him the opportunity gazing silently into the fire he was hardly aware that dr drummond had again left his seat when he started violently at a clap on the shoulder finlay exclaimed the doctor you won't be offended no you couldn't be offended it was half jocular half anxious wholly inexplicable at what asked hugh finlay should i be offended again with a deep sigh the doctor dropped into his chair i see i must begin at the beginning he said but finlay with sudden intuition had risen and stood before him trembling with a hand against the mantelpiece no he said if you have anything to tell me of importance for god's sake begin at the end some vibration in his voice went straight to the heart of the doctor banishing as it travelled every irrelevant thing that it encountered then the end is this finlay he said the young woman miss christie cameron whom you were so wilfully bound and determined to marry has thrown you over that is if you will give her back her word has jilted you that is if you'll let her away has thought entirely better of the matter he stared out of his great sockets of eyes as if the sky had fallen dr drummond would say recounting it for for what reason asked finlay hardly yet able to distinguish between the sound of disaster and the sense that lay beneath may i begin at the beginning asked the doctor and hugh silently nodded he sat there and never took his eyes off me twisting his fingers i might have been in a confession box dr drummond would explain to her she came here miss cameron with that good woman mrs kilbannon it will be three weeks next monday he said with all the air of beginning a story that would be well worth hearing and i wasn't very well pleased to see her for reasons that you know however that's neither here nor there 
i met them both at the station and i own to you that i thought when i made miss cameron's acquaintance that you were getting better than you deserved in the circumstances you were a thousand miles away now that was a fortunate thing and she and mrs kilbannon just stayed here and made themselves as comfortable as they could and that was so comfortable that anyone could see with half an eye the doctor's own eye twinkled so far as miss cameron was concerned that she wasn't pining in any sense of the word but i wasn't sorry for you finley on that account he stopped to laugh enjoyingly and finley blushed like a girl i just let matters bide and went about my own business though after poor mrs forsyth here a good woman enough but the brains of a rabbit it was pleasant to find these intelligent ladies at every meal and wonderful how quick they were at picking up the differences between the points of church administration here and at home that was a thing i noticed particularly in miss cameron matters went smoothly enough smoothly enough till one afternoon that foolish creature at vena murchison finley started came here to pay a call on miss cameron and mrs kilbannon it was well and kindly meant but it was not a wise like thing to do i didn't exactly make it out but it seems that she came all because of you and on account of you and the ladies didn't understand it and mrs kilbannon came to me my word but there was a woman to deal with who was this young lady and what was she to you that she should go anywhere or do anything in your name without doubt he put up a staying hand it was foolish of edvina and what sort of freedom and how far and why and what way and i tell you it was no easy matter to quiet her is miss cameron distressed about it said i not a bit said she but i am and i must have the rights of this matter said she if i have to put it to my nephew himself it was at that point finley that the idea just then that the thought came into my mind well i won't say absolutely but practically for the first time why can't this matter be arranged on a basis to suit all parties so i said to her mrs kilbannon i said if you had reasonable grounds for it do you think you could persuade your niece not to marry hugh finley wait patience he held up his hand and finley gripped the arm of his chair again she just stared at me are you gone clean daft dr drummond she said there could be no grounds serious enough for that i will not believe that hugh finley has compromised himself in any way i had to stop her i was obliged to tell her there was nothing of the kind nothing of the kind and later on i'll have to settle with my conscience about that i meant i said the reasonable grounds of an alternative an alternative said she to cut a long story short continued the doctor leaning forward always with the finger in his waistcoat pocket to emphasize what he said i represented to mrs kilbannon that miss cameron was not in sentimental relations toward you that she had some reason to suspect you of having placed your affections elsewhere and that i myself was very much taken up with what i had seen of miss cameron 
in brief i said to mrs kilbannon that if miss cameron saw no objection to altering the arrangements to admit of it i should be pleased to marry her myself the thing was much more suitable in every way i was fifty-three years of age last week i told her but i said miss cameron is thirty-six or seven if she's a day and finley there would be like nothing but a grown-up son to her i can offer her a good home and the minister's pew in a church that any woman might be proud of and though far be it from me i said to depreciate mission work either home or foreign miss cameron in that field would be little less than thrown away think it over i said well she was pleased i could see that but she didn't half like the idea of changing the original notion it was leaving you to your own devices that weighed most with her against it she'd set her heart on seeing you married with her approval so i said to her to make an end of it well mrs kilbannon i said suppose we say no more about it for the present i think i see the finger of providence in this matter but you'll talk it over with miss cameron and we'll all just make it for the next few days the subject of quiet and sober reflection maybe at the end of that time i'll think better of it myself though that is not my expectation i think she said we'll just leave it to christie as the doctor went on with his tale relaxation had stolen dumbly about finley's brow and lips he dropped from the plane of his own absorption to the humorous common sense of the recital it claimed and held him with infinite solace his eyes had something like the light of laughter in them flashing behind a cloud as he fixed them on dr drummond and said and did you we did said dr drummond getting up once more from his chair and playing complacently with his watch charms as he took another turn about the study we left it to miss cameron and the result is the doctor stopped sharply and wheeled round upon finley the result is why the upshot seems to be that i've cut you out man finley measured the little doctor standing there twisting his watch-chain beaming with achieved satisfaction in a consuming desire to know how far chance had been kind to him and how far he had to be simply unspeakably grateful he stared in silence occupied with his great debt it was like him that that and not his liberty should be first in his mind we who have not his opportunity may find it more difficult to decide but from our private knowledge of dr drummond we may remember what poor finley probably forgot at the moment that even when pitted against providence the doctor was a man of great determination the young fellow got up still speechless and confronted dr drummond he was troubled for something to say the chambers of his brain seemed empty or reiterating foolish sounds he pressed the hand the minister offered him and his lips quivered then a light came into his face and he picked up his hat and i'll say this for myself chuckled dr drummond it was no hard matter finley looked at him and smiled 
it would not be sir he said lamely dr drummond cast a shrewd glance at him and dropped the tone of banter ay i know it's no joking matter he said and with a hand behind the young man's elbow he half pushed him to the door and took out his watch he must always be starting somebody something in the right direction the doctor it's not much after half-past nine finley he said i notice the stars are out it had the feeling of a colloquial benediction and finley carried it with him all the way it was nevertheless nearly ten when he reached her father's house so late that the family had dispersed for the night yet he had the hardihood to ring and the hour blessed them both for edvina on the stair catching who knows what of presage out of the sound turned and found him at the threshold herself End of chapter 32